Welcome back to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, Gazette Hawkeyes reporter, John Steppe. Today, I'm joined by Tom Caker, the publisher of HawkeyeReport.com, the Iowa affiliate of the Rivals.com network. Tom, thanks for the time today. Oh, love being on with you, John. And welcome to The Beat, officially. You know, it's been a few weeks, but we've enjoyed having you with us. So it's awesome having you. Thank you. It's been a kind of a little bit of a whirl in the first couple of weeks. You know, I my first full week on the job was, I think, the week that they moved up to number three and then got that Maryland route that was unlike anything else. And then after that, Penn State, which was unlike anything else. And then yeah. that Purdue game that you could say was also unlike anything else, just in a much different way and not really the way that Hawkeye fans are hoping for. Yeah, it's been um, interesting three weeks. And now we've had the week off to everybody kind of recharge the batteries. I think the players needed it more than anybody. Um, Just they were pretty, I think guys were pretty, the tank was kind of empty and they needed to kind of refuel a little bit and get to feeling better. So um, now we'll see what happens on Saturday. Yeah. And it was interesting, like Samuel Porter was just talking about yesterday having his feet up. And, you know, I think that really does go a long ways there after that's kind of a grueling stretch when you think about it. Let's see, that was three teams all in the top 20 that they had to go up against. So you have and then road trip across the country to Maryland on a Friday that kind of throws you off. And then it'll be interesting Saturday and it seems like this is a Wisconsin team that could maybe give Iowa some trouble considering how good this Wisconsin defense has been and how well, not great. The Iowa offense has been lately. Yeah. And I always flash back to, um, to the um, 2017 game. Uh, And and that was uh, Iowa coming off that huge win against Ohio State and then going up to Madison the next week and, you know, going from scoring 55 points against Ohio State to only having 66 yards of total offense against uh, against Wisconsin. And the only reason Iowa put any points on the board was because Josh Jackson picked off two passes and returned them for touchdowns. Uh, otherwise that was a route. And even two years ago, you know, that was a tight game. Um, mm-hmm. Nate Stanley hit Tyrone Tracy, big play, uh, to kind of get him, you know, back in the mix. And, and it was, a, but Jonathan Taylor ran wild. I, it, it, we forget about that, that he ran for over 200 yards and he was just the dominant performer in the game. And, you know, we're seeing what he's doing in the NFL now, but, oh, yeah. uh, um, but yeah, that, it, it comes down to, I think, what Iowa – the keys are, I think, what Iowa's offense can do against the Wisconsin defense that's one of the best in the country at stopping the run. And then on the flip side, what Iowa's defense can do to stop Wisconsin from running the ball and making Graham Mertz beat them because I think that's the number one thing Wisconsin wants to, to avoid is oh, making yeah. Graham Mertz throw the football. He threw it eight times last week against Purdue, and they won comfortably. That's incredible. 52 yards passing, 
but they've got it the, at least for last week they had it going with their two the two-headed monster they have at, at in the backfield including the the allen kid who's a 17 year old who looks like he's about 25 yeah and i was doing some research on him and it turns out that he's like an incredible weightlifter too yeah. which I didn't realize, like he tweeted a video of what appears to be, cannot independently confirm off the video, but what appeared to be lifting 455 pounds for like four reps or something, or maybe it's five reps. You and know like, who his, first, his first offer was from the University of Iowa. And wasn't Iowa also one of his finalists too? Yeah, yeah, Iowa was right in the mix. Um, um, Tim Polisek had done a great job of recruiting him. Uh, but obviously decided to stay close to home. Uh, and it would make sense. I mean, he's a Wisconsin yeah. kid. It's, it's hard for Wisconsin, just like an Iowa kid, you know, it's harder for them to turn down Iowa, uh, you know, in, in terms of Wisconsin, but you know, we've got TJ Bowlers, whose dad played at Iowa, who's uh, on the Wisconsin roster. He hasn't played this year. He's a freshman, but, um, but yeah, that it makes sense for him to, to go there. But I just thought it was funny that, I remember I will be in the first to offer Allen and, and now, you know, here he is uh, as a true freshman, a 17 year old, just crushing it, running the football. It's incredible. And, you know, it's kind of, Iowa knew what they're getting in this. So I guess with that part of the scouting, they knew that part probably pretty well would be my guess. And it's, and it's really interesting because, you know, a couple of years ago they recruited Jalen Berger and he looked really good his first, first year. And, you know, just, and now he's not even there anymore. I mean, they, you thought he was going to be the, the heir apparent to Jonathan Taylor and be the, you know, the guy that's there for four years that just, you just get sick of seeing. Uh, and, and then um, turns out that, uh you know, they've got these other guys, the Clemson transfer, um, and, and now Allen, uh, who are divided up a little bit. And, and they've got that run game, at least last week, they had that run game going. Yeah. And when you have your number two running back with, I think it's as many rushing touchdowns as Iowa's number one running back, who is on the <laughs> Doak Walker watch list, that tells you kind of everything about, okay, their number two is up to par with some of the better number ones across the Big Ten. And that's going to be a challenge. And as you were saying about Graham Mertz, the more that Graham Mertz throws the ball, I think the better for this team. Where I think the numbers are, if it's more than 15 attempts that he throws in a game, he's thrown interceptions in those games three out of four times. So yeah. he throws long enough and he's going to throw an interception. Yeah, that's why it's going to be so important for Iowa to be able to stop the run and, and, and set that tone early. Um, uh, you know, Kayvon Merriweather talked about it yesterday that he's probably not going to be on the field a whole lot because they're going to play. Um, he said they're, it's a three-backer game, so Justin Jacobs will be out there and Dane Belton will be at, at strong safety. So it'll be a little different look. I remember two years ago up there, Iowa came out in a four linebacker set for the first play of the game. Now they just had one safety on the field, I think. And then, um, and, and just had, uh, had four linebackers. It was Jack Campbell started for his first game, uh, in that game because he was one of the inside backers in that game. Wow. And now two years later, look at what Jack Campbell is now. It's 
a little bit of a nice progression there for him. Yeah. Yeah. I would not stick with that four linebackers thing very long though. It was only a couple of plays <laughs> and then they kind of got out of it, but it was, it was interesting that Phil kind of dialed up something that was fairly unique to, to start the game. But um, yeah, I think turnovers, here's the other key. I think for Iowa, I think Iowa has an edge in special teams. Mm-hmm. I just think that punting is winning. There. Yeah, the punting is winning. Get the shirt, uh, Ray Gun. You can go get the shirt. With a simple plug. It's for a good charity for uh, Tory Taylor. But Taylor's such a good punter. Um, uh, Charlie Jones really good in the return game. I just think special teams is one area where Iowa can can maybe have an edge because I I just look at this game as going to be. Um, when I'm looking at this game and trying to analyze it, I come back to 2009 and 2015. Now, 2009 game was 20 to 10. Uh, Iowa won. Incidentally, t- 2009 and, and 2015, both 11 a.m. kickoffs in Madison, too, by the way. Uh, wow, all the stars are aligning here. The stars are all aligning. I'm, I'm trying to find something for all for the Iowa fans to, to latch on to here, but um, you know, 2009, they had the big interceptions uh, late, but they had a really good game. Um, they were able to, um, you know, win that that game up in Madison. And then the 2015 game, obviously, you remember that, 10-6. Um, the goal line play by Nate Meyer, George Kittle catches a touchdown pass. Iowa somehow found a way to win that game. I, don't, I still don't know how they won that game, but they did. And it was just – that's the kind of game I, I – I mean, you look at the over-under, it's 36 and a half. Lowest and, number, lowest total number all year in um, for any college football game. And, and I, I think, think you have a pretty high. good bet taking the under on that. It's too high. The, yeah. the, under, the over-under is too high. I mean, this could be another, it's, um, you know, first one to double figures. You know, that's <laughs> kind of what it feels like. Yeah, because both these defenses have been great. And you touched on turnovers. I think that's me a huge thing. Where we saw it against Purdue, where when this defense doesn't force turnovers, you can kind of have some problems. Grand Wisconsin does not have a David Bell. That's probably the best news for Iowa after seeing that tape, where it also seemed like there just weren't any adjustments made to David Bell. But you just don't have that on Wisconsin. Jake Ferguson's a pretty good tight end. Yeah. But that's about as good as you're going to get in terms of the receiving core there. Yeah, they've got some veteran guys, but they just have not gotten anything going. It's it's The Mertz thing is so strange to me because that first game that he started last year, five touchdown passes against Illinois, everybody's like, whoa, Air Wisconsin, here we go. You know, this Graham Mertz kid, he's the, you know, now we know why he's starting and da-da-da-da-da. But he finished very quietly last year um you know iowa pretty much dominated that game last year uh in, in iowa city uh, that ended up being the last game of the year for um for iowa um, not that anyone knew that was gonna happen yeah we didn't know that we thought they were playing again the next week and thought maybe they'd play in a bowl game but no such luck but um iowa was able to really frustrate wisconsin in that game uh, throttled them in the snow a little bit. You remember the snow coming down at the end of the game. And um, I thought they did a really good job. And, and they ran the ball okay. I, but you look inside the numbers a little bit, maybe it wasn't as good as it seemed because one of the runs was an 80-yard touchdown by 
by Tyler Goodson, where Linderbaum was racing him down the field, almost keeping up with, with Goodson, which <laughs> does everything you need to know about Linderbaum. But um, that was, they still ran the ball, I thought, okay. Makai Sargent ran it better than Tyler Goodson did. But I always got to find an answer in that run game. They can't oh, yeah. they can't expect to, to go up to Madison and win if they're going to average less than three yards a carry, which, yeah. you know, right now they're at 3.1. And it, you just – you're going to have to figure out a way to run the football or discover a pass game. And I, I you know, they got to figure out a way to get the ball to the playmakers. We've talked, you know, I asked uh, Brian Ferentz about that last week, just Tyrone Tracy sitting at 83 yards receiving this year. Yeah. Which is incredible because yeah. you would have thought that he would have been the top target there, but then you have a Keegan Johnson who's been, kind of getting these big plays. You have an Arwen Bruce who's coming in and getting a snap here, snap there, and having some contributions. It's kind of a crazy, like if you have told me that that would have been Tyrone Tracy's stat line at the bye week, I would have thought that when you were on something. Yeah, it's just, it's been weird that it just, he has not clicked this year. I don't know what it is, um, but and they've got to get more reps for, for Keegan Johnson and, and try and get him on the outside and get him in one-on-one matchups because I think he can win a lot of those. And it's worth taking a shot with those too. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think getting the ball in the hands of Arlen Bruce is important because he just seems to be able to make some plays with his feet. And and uh, so you figure out, you know, jet sweeps or something, get the ball in his hands uh, a little bit more. Um and figure out a way to get get Goodson out in space, maybe uh, run some screen plays, something like that, to kind of loosen that defense up. I, there's a lot of ways, and you know, Brian Ferentz talked about tweaking things a little bit. Maybe those are some of the tweaks you can't. It, it's impossible to overhaul it. Yeah, not in a buy, and they're not going to. I mean, yeah. I, here's the thing I always say about Brian and what he, because people complain about Kirk's offense and it being so conservative. I always look at it like. Um, Brian, being who he is, is allowed to color outside the lines of what Kirk kind of wants more than any other offensive coordinator that could exist in the world uh, because he's his son. You know, I think he's got a little more leeway than a Ken O'Keefe or a Greg Davis did. So um, he can color outside the lines. We've seen that with the Wildcat last year. Um, yeah. You know, Kirk used to used to give we used to get the Kirk Ferentz snort with the wildcat what are we going to do around the wildcat <laughs> you know just snort about it you know it's just uh um and now we see it now and it now sounds like it, we're going to see disappear. it more too but it's disappeared uh, yeah go yeah. ahead well it sounded like with brian ference last week that the wildcat is still in the playbook so yeah we'll see they need something to get that running game started because as you were saying yeah you can't do that with three yards I mean, 3.1 yards per carry compared to Wisconsin, I think it's 4.7. That's a pretty big discrepancy there with 1.6 yards per carry difference there. Yeah. That, that adds up. And last year, Iowa hit their marker. They always say, you know, they want to have X number of explosive runs and they want to get 4.5 yards per carry. And they did that um, last year. Uh, they hit the 4.5, and and you saw the offense was better. 
they didn't, it wasn't like they were living off turnovers. And this year it's kind of like the, the offensive line just hasn't come together. And I don't know if it's because they're rotating guys. I don't know if it was because Kyler shot wasn't there in the beginning of the year. Maybe that would have made a difference. I'm not sure, but I just know I'm curious this week because, you know, listening to Kirk and I think you probably picked up on it too. It seemed like the bye week was going to be kind of a, a demarcation line, kind of like a, a line in the sand where, okay, we're going to make some decisions here, hopefully about who's going to go on the offensive line and kind of try and build some continuity. Cause I just don't think you can build continuity if you're shuttling in um, at three different positions, which they've done. They've shuttled in at both guard positions and you've seen Jack Plum in there for, for uh, DeYoung at times uh, at tackle. I just don't think you can build continuity if you don't have the same five guys out there. It's already tough when you have that and then you have just the overall youth here where yeah. you have Connor Colby who was playing high school football a year ago. And yeah. I've been impressed with how he's done considering that, but that Absolutely. still doesn't change the fact that, Hey, he was playing against Cedar Rapids high school teams at this time last year. And that's a pretty quick development to have to turn the corner there. So I think that's also the challenge too is, okay, you have a young group, who isn't really used to this. And then you don't have that continuity. Sure. And that can make it even harder. Yeah, it can. Um, and you're right. And, and you're talking about three new starters too uh, yeah. on, that, on that offensive line and two of them being at tackle, which is the most, you know, Kirk and Brian will say center is the most important, but, you know, as we saw against Purdue, the, uh, the tackle positions are pretty important when you got George Karloftis breathing down your neck. Um, yeah. you know, you're having some guys that, that haven't done that against those type of guys. They'll get better. I'm really high on Mason Richmond. I think Mason mm-hmm. Richmond's going to be a, a, a big time player, but he had a rough day. So did Nick DeYoung. They both had rough days. It would have, what, you know, we really haven't talked about this, but it really would have helped Iowa if Mark Kellenberger would have came back for his fifth year, because then they could have a veteran guy who started a lot of games, but he decided he was done with football and, and and moved on, but he would have been a fifth year senior uh, that, that could have started this year and given him some, uh, some uh, experience and stability at one of the tackle positions. Is it tough when you have that little experience at the two tackles where you think, wow, if you didn't have Tyler, that would be a really rough offensive line where the first question I asked Brian Ferentz last week was about how difficult it is to run your offense that, you know, runs the ball a lot when you don't have that offensive line experience. And his point was, well, it's a good thing that we have. Well, one of his points is it's a good thing that we have Tyler there because if he wasn't, it'd be even harder. So, which I think is maybe him trying to be optimistic of, well, at least we have Tyler, but I think there is some truth to that too, where you look at the rest of that line and it's a tough challenge there. I've, I I want to kind of throw something at you here a little bit, but I, I wonder, I thought it was interesting that after the Purdue game, when Kirk was asked about the offensive line, he's, he hinted basically, or he didn't hint, he said it. He was like, hey, I've seen some good things up there. Brian saying the same thing, 
But the rest of us are kind of looking at them like, I know you guys are experts at this stuff, but what are you seeing that we're not? Because the numbers don't add up. Yeah. Where I think also it's interesting some of the specific things that Kirk has been saying. Things like, you know, every, I think it was a while ago he said this, but every play is more experienced, that kind of thing, where it's kind of the, well, they're getting this great experience, kind of is almost like maybe a, way of saying without saying hey i realize that this is inexperienced yeah so i think that is some of it too is okay maybe they aren't outwardly saying yeah it's it's tough with this offensive line but they're kind of maybe subtly finding ways to kind of or maybe they aren't trying to but subtly it's coming out that they realize that hey this is a group that really needs to grow. And I think you look at it. I think the people who are there are trying. Um, I think they've improved a lot, but it's, they're improving from the starting point was that much lower when you have like red shirt, freshman, Mason Richmond, true freshman, Connor Colby, when you have that level of an experience, okay. Yeah. There's a lot of growth that needs to happen. Yeah. 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 I'm interested to see how they perform this week, though. And here's the thing I think maybe that they're latching on to is you have seen some good blocks and you have seen some good runs. Um, you know, I'm thinking of the, the two first quarter touchdowns that this team has that were just pure offensive were, were by Tyler Goodson on runs of 46 and 56 yards, one of them in the Indiana game of you know, their first series where he hit one one for 56. We've seen kind of the glimpses and maybe that's what they're, uh, but it's the consistency that's not there. And I think that's what was there last year. You've seen much more, many more negative yardage plays where they've just completely whiffed and, you know, Goodson's getting the ball and people are complaining about him dancing around. Well, there's two guys standing in front of him in, in the other color Jersey. What is he supposed to do? You know? Yeah. There's no other option for him. He has to do that. Yeah. Otherwise, it's going to be a lot more ugly. You don't have him dancing around like that. And I kind of go back to the Purdue game where it was third and two at the, I think it was the 11-yard line for Purdue. And they do the two quarterback sneaks. And most years with that offensive line, that's no problem. You can probably get that in one there. But you don't have, when you need that, you don't have the consistency to get mm-hmm. two yards on two tries, one yard total. And so. what does it say about their faith in that offensive line um, to give it to Tyler Goodson and let him get those two yards on third down? I think yeah. that's another thing too, is just, it, it's like, I, I, I kind of, said something wrote something at that point what's the confidence here in that in that offensive line um yeah and Goodson to get those two yards because normally that's a handoff to the running back it, what we've seen more and they're trying to vary things up you know potty bombs getting carries mm-hmm. you know and it's all right but it's just they're trying to vary up what they're doing and i get it but it's um you know they got to get goodson going I mean, he's a first-team All All Big Ten running back last year, and yeah, he's gonna be in the NFL. He's capable of 
doing well. So they've got to figure out a way to get him going um, and, and get that run game going because everything, you know, they always talk about complimentary football. You hear that a lot with Iowa. That's part of the compliment is run the ball, stop the run. That sets up everything else that sets up third and long on defense where you can get interceptions and turnovers and for Iowa on offense, it sets up play action where you can get plays down the field. It's all complimentary football. Yeah. And we hear it time and time again, the complimentary football, but it's true. It, it's what needs to happen. Yeah. So switching gears here now to kind of the recruiting front, Iowa now with 11 commits so far for the class of 2022. Which of those 11 should Iowa fans most keep an eye on, do you think? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, because it doesn't no. seem like there's one clear, oh, it's this person. Yeah, I would, you know, the guy that I like the most is the guy that's been committed the longest, who's been committed since uh, June 25th of 2019, and that's Aaron Graves uh, out of Gowry, Iowa, small town kid, but he's a beast, 6'5", 270, uh, just a, a monster of a, um, defensive lineman that's that's going to be a, a really good player. Now, will he come in right away and make a big impact? Eh, you know, I wouldn't say that, but um, I would throw him in there. Also, Caleb Johnson, the running back uh, out of Ohio, um, you know, depending on what Goodson does after the year, and there's time to figure that out. But, um, you know, he, I, I, there was something written in the, um, the Athletic last week with some of the recruiting people just about how – talking to a coach who said that that kid's really underrated. So um, he'd be a guy. Um, I, I think that, that, um, that just flipped from Cal that, uh, that maybe you watch, but I think maybe the bigger impact guys are the guys that are potentially still coming and that, that are still on the board. A certain player from a certain high school with the word Polk in it might be yeah. yes. on that list there. Yeah, Xavier Wampa, the the uh, five star safety, number one safety in the country. Um, he went to uh, Notre Dame last weekend for the USC game. He went. He's going to Ohio State this weekend for the Penn State game, uh, and he's set his decision date for December eighth. Um, I put in. Um, I think I was the first goofball to do this and uh and put my neck on the line a little bit and put in a future cast for him um you know a few weeks back uh just because i kept hearing some things this was before the penn state game i threw it out there um more you know it was for fun but some intel as well that iowa was doing pretty well with him and it looked like they're trending in a good direction i still think that i still do um it's not like it's a done deal that he's coming to Iowa, but I think Iowa is in great shape. I think they've done a terrific job recruiting him. Uh, and that, if you would have asked me a year ago or six months ago, I would have said it's probably a long shot for Iowa, but they, you know, kind of worked their way back in with him. And um, I think being close to home, I think um, maybe some of the NIL opportunities that could be uh, awaiting him as an in-state kid, you know, you oh, yeah. from that perspective, if you go to Notre Dame, you're just another four or five star. If you go to Ohio state, you're just another four or five star competing for that same thing. There's not that 
there's more opportunities at Iowa probably for him. And you look yeah, at he already look has at, his brand here. Yeah, People you know look at this week. Look at this week. Caitlin Clark's doing a partnership with High V. You know, and she's the highest rated recruit uh, for women's basketball, and she's getting a High V sponsorship, getting money from High V. That's one thing I'd I'd send to that kid and say, look, you go to High V probably once a week, dude, and you could be all over that in the state of Iowa. You could be a big fish in the Iowa pond. And I think that's resonated with him. The NIL stuff matters. It just does. But yeah. also well, it's money. People generally also, like money. Yes. We all like money. <laughs> you know, let's, let's be honest. We all like money. Also he's looking at how Phil Parker keeps putting guys in the defensive backfield in the NFL. Now Ohio state does that really well too. Um, and Notre Dame has Kyle Hamilton who'll be a first round draft pick, but um, you know, there's something to be said for the consistency that Phil Parker has brought to that position and um, how they've been able to put multiple guys in the NFL. You look at Mike Hyde and Desmond King and Monty Hooker and Josh Jackson, all those guys. I mean, they, he just puts guys Gino in the Stone NFL. too. Yeah. 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 And I kind of have this long belief that if there's an in-state star, who then stays at an in-state school, they're kind of beloved in a way that's different than anything else. I think it kind of goes beyond football. Like there's also a different pressure too. I mean, oh, yeah. I go back to like um, you know, like a Tim Dwight, um, an Iowa City kid who you know was a superstar, Tavian Banks, same era, Bettendorf High School kid, um, that were both like big time superstar prospects at the high school level. Um, and, and, but it's a different pressure, but some of these guys really like that. I'll say this too. If I would get Xavier Wampa, they're in the front position driver's seat. Um, not a lock, but in great position to get Caden Proctor as well. The, the, the offensive lineman from uh, Southeast Polk. Um, so well, that and, would be some pretty good news for Hawkeyes fans to get them both. And, and, um, I think it really puts them, I think they're in pretty decent shape with, with, uh, Kevin Casper's son too. Um, Kyler who came up for the Penn state game. They, that was one of those things Xavier was going to be there. And those guys are really good friends and sat together at the game and, um, like, like being around each other, they really clicked. They played some seven on seven together. So, and, you know, Kyler's a 2023 kid. So, um, you know, if they can get those three, whoa, that's pretty big news. Watch out. Yeah, that's pretty big news. So, And you um, look at that Penn State game, that was just like a giant gift wrapped yeah. perfectly like Christmas Day for Iowa in terms of recruiting to have that environment with, what was it, more than 80 recruits there? Yeah. Like, how much better can it get? It was, it was crazy. And, uh, you know, you get the reaction from all those guys and that's a memory that they have that you know, last year, they couldn't get that memory because they weren't allowed in the stadium. Uh, and it's, and it's hard to recruit when you can't put those kids in that environment and get them to experience what Kinnick is like uh, in a situation, in, in a game like that, you know, where it gets dark and, you know, you get the lights going and uh, you have an exciting game and you see the fans rush the field and all those the guys who went to the game, they're all rushing the field. They're down there. I was down there in that corner with Xavier Wampa and 
Caden Proctor and and uh, and Kyler Casper, we were down in that tunnel area. I think you were fairly near there too. Yeah, I was trying and, to and- swim my way through the crowd. It wasn't <laughs> the most efficient operation there on my part, but <laughs> I was trying to get over there. But it was it was fun watching the players. The players know those guys, and they were interacting with those recruits. And saw Linderbaum come up to Caden Proctor and grab him by the shoulder pads and shake him and say, "You're coming here." <laughs> you know, and that's a pretty big message from a, a guy like Linderbaum, you know. Oh, yeah. Take, take a minute and just grab and, and Proctor just smiled, nodded his head yes. And, you know, just that big moment there. Well, especially because Linderbaum is not the most talkative guy by any yeah. means. He was so when you hear up. that from him, it's like, oh, wow. Okay, people listen when he says that. Yeah, he was fired up. <laughs> he was fired up. But all those guys, they were – going to all those guys, basically, you're coming here, you're coming here, you know, so they know. And those guys got to go in the locker room and you saw some of the videos on like Instagram and stuff like that, where they're dancing with all the, the Iowa players in the locker room. And um, I heard that Tyrone Tracy was the best dancer out of the group. That's probably true. Now they just need to throw him the ball a little more, I think. <laughs> so they can do some dancing on the field. Yes. Yeah. Dancing on the field. They'll do a little Billy White Shoes Johnson for the old people who are listening. <laughs> You're making me feel very young right now. Or the icky, the icky Shuffle. Do you, do you know the Icky Shuffle? It sounds familiar. Icky Woods. Yeah, there's another one. We're, okay, I'm now old. it's coming back to me a little bit. So Billy White Shoes Johnson was the first one. Okay. Well, on that note, thanks, Tom, for the time today. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, John. My pleasure. Before I wrap up this edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast, I have a trivia question. So I'll be giving two trivia questions, one right now on the podcast, the other in the Hawk Off the Press newsletter this week. If you get both right, you'll be entered to win two tickets to the November 20th Hawkeyes game against Illinois. So here's the question. What was the score of Kurt Ferentz's first bowl win? Again, what was the score to Kurt Ferentz's first bowl win? So if you get that question right and the question right in the newsletter, you'll be entered to win the tickets. Instructions on how to submit your answer, along with the second trivia question, will be in this week's newsletter. You can subscribe to the newsletter many different ways. The easiest, though, is just go to subscribepage.com slash hawks. Mike and I will be back for an edition of After the Final Score after the game Saturday. In the meantime, we will talk Hawks later.